Hey, good afternoon. We're back with another happy hour edition of the Stripe Show podcast. It is Friday, October 30th. Happy almost Halloween to everyone out there getting ready to eat their weight in candy, myself included. I'm your happy hour host, Samantha Marks. You know the drill. Travis, let me have the reins again today to interview some of the best analysts, personalities, and players in the game of golf. Well, today, we have a Twitter friend on the other line, one of my favorite Twitter accounts on the interwebs. We're not going to let it get to his head. He's a golf analyst, a golf journalist, all the other golf official terms. He, write for, he writes for Golfers Journal, for Lying 4. He's hilarious, which is why I love him. He's a civil rights lawyer by day, a golf Twitterer by night. If you're part of golf Twitter, you know him, you love him. Let's welcome in the fried chicken enthusiast, Will Bardwell. Will, thanks for joining me. Samantha Marks. Hello. What an introduction. You know, I, I say this to people all the time. I rarely mean it, but in your case, I really mean it. What a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much. That's so sweet. Pleasure to speak with you as well. As as long as we followed each other, we've never actually spoken in person. So first time for everything. That's right. Well, when you're introducing your podcast repertoire here is, you know, interviewing leading golfers and, uh, and golf personalities, I, I certainly don't fit into the leading golfer category. So I'll, I'll take whatever credit I can get on my personality. You, yeah, we'll give you the uh, the personality part. The game, well, you know, that can be improved. But you have the personality, which There's is all that of, really matters. A lot of room for improvement on both, actually. I, but... You know what? I understand. It is what it is. <laughs> well, we'll get to your love for fried chicken in a little bit because that is, you know, a very in, like important topic for us to be sure that we cover. Naturally. Um, but let's jump right into golf. No need to waste time. Talk to me about some overarching thoughts on this season, on the PGA Tour. I know it's been a weird one, but what are some of the headlines that you've most liked to follow that you found most interesting, have given you the most laughter on Twitter, stuff like that? Well, the big one is Bryson, right? It has to be. I mean, mm -hmm. there, there are just so many threads to pull on with that story. On the one hand, what he has done is incredible, right? I mean, everybody has talked about this for years and years and years. So I'm going to put on all this muscle and add all this distance off the tee and I'm going to become the best golfer in the world. And it has wrecked people's careers trying to do it. And even the guys who haven't had their careers wrecked, uh, they they've come up short and he actually did it. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the most remarkable things about it to me is he didn't have to do it. You know, right. he was already a great driver of the golf ball. He was already going to be the type of player who, you know, he was going to win a U.S. Open at some point. He probably would have already won multiple majors, even if he hadn't gone through this transformation. But now that he has uh, and has so quickly become the three or four guys you've got to watch out for in every major, it's just incredible to me. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely agree. A, a little shameless plug here. Travis talked to his trainer last week here on the Stripe Show podcast. If you haven't listened to that yet, and you're listening to this now, definitely go back and listen to it. Fascinating conversation about, just like what you said, Will, he didn't have to do that, but he wanted to, and he did. I find it a little bit frustrating how much people talk crap about him. Um, not, not that I'm like going to be the first one to go to his defense, but I have a problem with people who don't respect what he's done because he said he was going to do something and he did it and he's owning it and he's doing an amazing job at kind of showing us all what's up. You know what I mean? So I think it's, it's, um, it's most frustrating for me. It's been fun to watch, but it's frustrating. People say, I hate him. He's annoying. Well, 
he's not annoying. Like he's just doing exactly what he said he was going to do, which you have to respect that. I think you can be both. I think you can, on the one hand, think that he's self-unaware, for lack okay. of a better word. Yeah. But at the other, at the at the same time, acknowledge this guy has done something that nobody else has ever been able to pull off before. And, yeah. you know, and probably risked a promising career to do it. And, you know, it, it worked. You know, I fully expect him to be right there on Sunday at Augusta in a couple of weeks. He's going to be one of those guys, you know, barring injury, he's going to be right. one of those guys that you talk about every time there's a major, just because everything you need to do in a golf tournament, he can do, you know, he can, he can crush it off the tee. Uh, his you know, people love to crap on his wedges. He, he's, mm -hmm. he hits his wedges pretty well. He puts well enough. He's going to be there every single time. It's ridiculous. I know. I do feel like it's kind of tabled in the last couple days because he's not playing leading up to the masters, but he's one of those people on social media that I kind of find to be a little bit like Phil, like they always just try to stay relevant. So he's posting, you know, some that thing about Bryson getting off his plane or, you know, <laughs> it's like, what was really the point of that? Just so people would talk about it. Like it worked, but he's not playing. So he had to find another way to kind of get his name in the conversation. I just think it's funny. I love it. I think it's hilarious. As long as you can find humor in sort of chaos around mm -hmm. uh, branding and you know that sort of thing. Yeah, it's hilarious. It's it's weird as hell, but it it's got people talking about him, which I think, like you said, I think that was the point, just to keep his name in the conversation. Exactly. So, I mean, really, it's kind of our fault. People who even hate him are giving him the attention he wanted, so whatever. Let's shift gears to somebody who's maybe not, life is not as exciting right now. Tiger is struggling to keep his head above water, as you put it on Twitter. What do you take away from his recent poor finishes? And then also not playing much leading up to defending his title at the Masters. I know it was forever ago that he defended it. To me, it seems like years ago or that he won. Mm -hmm. What do you take from how he's playing right now and how he hopefully will come into form? I think he's doing the only thing he can do. I mean, he only has so many miles left on his body. You know, mm -hmm. and the fact that he won the Masters a year and a half ago, I still have a hard time wrapping my head around that because we're going to look back at his career, you know, 10 years or so from now when we can sort of safely close the book on it and say, okay, his professional career has more or less ended. We're going to realize, I think, that that 2019 win was firmly within the period where he was running on fumes, where he just didn't have much to offer from week to week. Mm -hmm. I'm sure he would love to be out there every two weeks getting reps before a tournament like the Masters, but his body just can't do it. Yeah, and I think that's something that people don't really consider as much. I mean, it's been so many years since he was winning consistently. He has had so many surgeries, injuries. It does wear on anybody, let alone a high-level athlete whatever um, yeah i mean whatever we get out of him going forward is just gravy 
Just a bonus. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he hadn't won a major since 2008. And he just pulled one out of thin air in yeah. 19. And I, you know, I don't discount the possibility that he could win another one. You know, if he can stay, I mean, he's not healthy now, but you know, if he can stay right. moderately healthy, uh, I could see him stay mobile. Yeah. <laughs> I could see him sneaking up and contending at a, an open championship sometime during his forties. Uh, yeah. But you know, whatever we get going forward is just, it's bonus at this point. I like that take. I think it's a good one because I think so many people, you know, I'm a little bit younger, I'm 26, but I grew up watching him. And then there was this lull, you know, of, of nothing. And then we kind of got our hopes back last year. And then now we're kind of like, okay, where are we at? And so I think for people a little bit older who grew up kind of really watching and comprehending the whole spectrum of his career, you're right. It is just bonus. Like anything that we get now is just kind of um, an addition to the great, you know, series of Tiger Woods playing golf that we already had. Um, yeah, but if, so, we, if we get like an open championship at St. Andrews with 25 mile an hour wins one year, he could absolutely go win that golf tournament. You know, where the, right. where the wind is neutering guys who bomb it off the tee. Uh, nobody knows how to flight balls and shape shots the way that he does. And so he, mm -hmm. he could sneak up and win one in those conditions. I like that. Are we calling it now? Maybe we will call it now and you can say that you said it. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'll, All right. I'm, you know, I've got nothing but shame to risk. Word. I love it. Well, how about Brooks Kepka? In case you didn't see to the listeners, Brooks did a Q&A with his girlfriend, Jenna Sims, on Instagram the other day. I thought it was really interesting and actually really fun to watch. They talked about everything from uh, how much does Brooks work out to how did Brooks and Jenna meet, um, how long did they live together, their house, their dogs. They talked about everything. And I see Brooks as, you know, kind of this rough around the edges, like just hard ass kind of guy. But he really kind of let loose um, in that series of Instagram slides. It kind of made me like him more. What What were your thoughts on it, and what are your thoughts on him in general? Well, I didn't see this Q&A, but the reason I love Brooks is the same reason I love this, this sort of budding rivalry between him and Bryson. Brooks is the other side of Bryson's coin. You know, mm -hmm. if, if Bryson is self-unaware and deeply cares what people think of him. Kepka is the exact opposite of that. Kepka is extremely comfortable in his own skin. He's very self-aware. He, I think he's actually a, a really likable guy just because he's, he's a funny guy, but uh, if people don't like him, he's okay with that. Right. Uh, and you know, he, he hasn't always been like that. Uh, I wrote a story last year after he won the PGA championship um, about, you know, everybody was talking about how the phrase they used over and over was mentally tough, like how mentally mm -hmm. tough Kepka is. And so I, I was curious about just wrapping my arms around that concept, to figure out what exactly that means. And so I talked to a bunch of people who knew him when he was younger, talked to some sports psychiatrists, and it's actually a 
it's not something that comes natural to him. It's a collection of skills that he uses to, uh, you know, combat nervousness on the golf course. He, you know, we all kind of, we've had those days where we're on the golf course on the 18th tee about to shoot our career low and we're, our hands are shaking and we're nervous as hell. And we're telling ourselves it's okay. It's okay. Um, Kepka is more self-aware than that. He is fine admitting to himself when he's nervous that he is nervous. And he understands that just because he feels nervous doesn't mean he has to play nervous. And that's a learned skill. You know, that is not the way he showed up at Florida state. And that's why I, I love that rivalry so much is because they, you know, on the surface, they look so similar, right? They're big muscular guys who hit the ball really far, but scratch the surface and get into their personalities and they just could not be more different. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree. And I think it's interesting to watch um, them kind of talk about each other. Um, Brooks is very avoidant. Um, he even said something on the Q and a, like somebody asked a question about Bryson and he said, like, I don't, I don't even need to give attention to that or something <laughs> like that. So it, it's funny. And it's, but I think for me, seeing these guys, and this is something I've talked about here on the pod before is I do feel like a lot of players have really opened up on social media in the last six to eight months. Um, we're seeing things that we haven't seen before, you know, Phil laying on his couch doing calf raises, like, you know, Bryson getting a shake out of the fridge. Like this is just a side of them that I think they're missing from having fans um, as well. So I do think that that is one good thing that came out of uh, the PGA tour shutdown stretch was we got to see a little bit more into these guys lives evidence still by Jenna even said that Q and a was Brooks's idea. Oh, wow. um, so, you know, yeah, he's wanting to talk more to his fans and communicate more and maybe be a little bit more likable. I don't know. I like him a lot. I don't, I have a problem. I don't have a problem <laughs> liking people who talk shit and back it up. Same thing I have with Bryson. You have to respect it. So enough about Brooks. You know, we have to talk about my Jordan Spieth take. It's still getting me heat on Twitter to this day. And I tweeted it, God, what? four, five weeks ago. Do you agree that Jordan Spieth was a phase? Why or why not? Look, first of all, I'm a huge Jordan Spieth guy. He's, he's my guy every week on the PGA Tour. I love watching mm -hmm. him play golf uh, because he, he plays golf like a human being. You know, he's, mm -hmm. he's fine off the He just kind of sucks sometimes, well, which is yeah, just like us. But that's what I mean. It's like <laughs> he's a human being. And right. so when you say Jordan Spieth was a phase, I think Jordan Spieth was a phase of Jordan Spieth. Like what he did right. in 2015 and then again in 2017, it was a phase of his career that is just over. And he could. That's exactly what I'm trying he, to say. He could absolutely get that back. But if he does, it's going to look different than it did in 2015, just because he, you, you cannot go 20 years in PGA tour career and putt year in and year out the way mm -hmm. he did in 2015. And so it's, it's going to have to look different than it did before. I think he could absolutely pull that off. I would be shocked if he never won another major, but 
yeah. yeah, it was it was a phase. Um, and, you know, it was, a, it was a phase of a phase, if you want to put it that way. And I, that's, that's what I think people lost in translation. And, and what I was saying is that I'm a huge Jordan Spieth fan. I love Jordan Spieth. He's great for the game. He's great for, you know, United States golfers. He's great for, you know, he's a good looking guy. Like he's, he's brings people the game and relatable, like you said. And I think that he's so fragile. I, I would, I would love to see him play well again. It's stupid to say that I said that. And then, you know, anyway, but yeah, you're right. It was a phase of life that we're no longer in. I would love him to get back to that, but I was curious your thoughts. Cause I know, I know you are a huge Jordan speed yeah. fan. Um, and the same, the same, just the same reason that I like Kepka. You know, he's a human being. He, Kepka does a little bit better job of masking his emotions than Spieth does. You know, Spieth, but Spieth, he wears his heart on his sleeve. You know, and mm -hmm. when it's good, it's great. It's like you're right there with him. Uh, but when it's bad, God, he doesn't hide it at all. You just, your heart goes out to him. He's. I think fragile was a really good way to fragile. describe him. You know, if yeah. you haven't read, I'll take like my favorite golf book is the book Shane Ryan wrote a few years ago after the, I think it was right after the 2014 PJ tour season called slaying the tiger. And he has a chapter on Jordan Spieth and talks about just how fragile Spieth is. And then of course, 2015 comes along and, I think Shane even wrote something on his blog, sort of a, an addendum to his book, uh, reviewing his, his mm -hmm. thoughts on Spieth after 2015. But the, that whole book has held up really well, and his, his insight into Spieth's psychology has really held up well. So anybody who's kind of interested in what makes Jordan Spieth tick, uh, Slaying the Tiger by Shane Ryan is still a, an extremely relevant read. Is that an ad? Is that that an is ad, a um, for Shane Ryan. Uh, I, I tweet about the few books that I've read all the time, so it makes people <laughs> think I read more than I do. Uh, and this is, yeah. So this is a, a, a shameless ad for me. I do love Shane Ryan. I can't believe I haven't read that book yet. It's so, so good. Have to get it's that. so good. Good, good, good. Well, I'm going on a trip this weekend, so what a better time than to download it. Um, so we know that you're a writer for Lying For and the very impressive Golfer's Journal, which I've written in one of those That's before. Right. So much fun to deal with those you're guys. You're a Golfer's Journal alum now. I am a contributor, quote unquote. Is that what they call us? I, you, I think um, you can call yourself whatever you want, like short of editor-in-chief. I was going to say, don't tell me that. I'm going to put owner in my bio. Well, if, um, if they start handing out business cards, then I'll kind of feel obligated to call myself whatever they put on the business card. But until then, I'm just going to call myself anything I want. Contributor is fine. Until they tell you to not. Right. I mean, whatever. Talk to me about your most recent Lying For article. I saw a little bit about it on Twitter, kind of gained some traction. I know it was something that, you know, kind of came from the heart. Yeah. Well, I'm, you know, when I write about places that I go play golf, I try to write about something other than just the golf course. You know, and like, mm -hmm. well, what what's the best hole out there? And, you know, how's the routing? And, and I love that kind of stuff. I'm a huge architecture nerd. But I, I try to write about just the things I'm thinking about while I'm out there playing. 
And sometimes, sometimes it is the routing. Other times it's a little more adjacent. And so I went out, it was the night that the Braves and the Dodgers played game four of the National League Championship Series. I went out and played target golf at the baseball stadium for the Braves AA minor league team in Pearl, Mississippi, which is right outside Jackson. And mm-hmm. so it was, it was almost surreal, you know, hitting pitching wedges all across this baseball field from a bay underneath the jumbotron, which had game four going. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you've got these two things, like the two institutions in my life that have you know, caused me the most joy and sorrow are, are <laughs> golf and Atlanta Braves baseball. And so you had them right there together at the same time. And so it just kind of got me thinking about like, what is what is it about these two institutions that keeps drawing us back? Because, I mean, whether you're a Braves fan or, or a golfer, the disappointments far outnumber uh, the, the moments of joy. And and yet we keep coming back. So what is it about that? And so I just kind of explored that and wrote a little bit about the past Forty-five years of minor league baseball in Jackson, Mississippi. So, if, you know, if you're into that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, um, yeah, it's about Trustmark Park. If you're on my blog, line four, uh, look for the article about Trustmark Park, which is the name of the stadium where uh, I went to play target golf. And uh, yeah, and so that, that's what that's what I was trying to do there. I like that. That is. Um kind of interweaving two things, like you said, who've, who've caused you a lot of emotions over the years. Sorry, that was my cat just running into a wall, if you heard that. So happy Friday. Let's take a second to talk about the guys and girls over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation of having the most cutting-edge technology in their golf balls that the industry has seen in quite some time. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is changing the script of golf technology through the perimeter-weighted designs use of high-density particles, and even a nano-transitional layer in their latest creation, which offers players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course and extreme velocity off the tee. They already have their award-winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls, but the new Vero X1 is the highest performance ball to date with their full suit of golf balls. They are transforming the game for players of all skill levels, visit EncoreGolf.com slash Travis Fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast. Um, so tell us a little bit about what people can expect coming up in this next edition of Golfer's Journal, because I saw Travis Hill um, with Golfer's Journal tweeted a number of amazing um, writers in that epi- in that uh, edition. So I'm excited well, to get it. I, What'd you I write about? frequently have my most furious bouts of inferiority when there's an issue with golfer's journal coming out that I've written in just because you start looking at the bylines on there and then you see your name, you know, what in the hell am I doing with these people? Like I I do not belong in this class of writers, Uh, but I've got an article coming out in issue 14, which should be hitting uh, mailboxes in November. uh, And it's about, a golf course designer 
named Joseph Bartholomew, who was born in New Orleans in the late 1800s. And there are a lot of things about Joseph Bartholomew that are remarkable, but one of them is that Joseph Bartholomew was black. And so he was this mm -hmm. prolific golf course designer in the Deep South in the early 1900s, you know, in the, the heyday of Jim Crow, uh, designing and building golf courses that, of course, were segregated. And so the, you know, the most terrible irony of his life is that he built these tremendous golf courses and then he could he couldn't get on and play them. Um, but he was also mm -hmm. a, a successful businessman, um, you know, a civic leader in New Orleans and just a really super interesting guy. Uh, so I've got a story in issue 14 of the Golfer's Journal uh, about that. And uh, I hope people like it because it was a lot of fun to research and write. That sounds really interesting and very um, timely, which is always good for that kind of writing. Yeah. And, um, you know, I he, he was not, he lived in a time where you, you couldn't really speak up. Um, and mm -hmm. so he, he very much just had to play the hand he was dealt. And he still just, he lived a remarkable life. I think by the, there's a, there's a Fortune magazine article from the late 1950s, I think, that was written about him. And by that point, his net worth in, you know, if you adjust it for inflation, was, I think, four or five million dollars. You know, and this is this is a black mm -hmm. guy living in Louisiana in the 1950s. So he, he even given the cards he was dealt, he lived just an incredible life. Um, but just a super interesting story. And there's a municipal golf course in New Orleans today that he designed late in life. Uh, and after the, he died, they renamed it for him. It's Joseph M. Bartholomew Municipal Golf Course in New Orleans. Tons of fun to go play. So anybody who's ever in New Orleans and is looking for a, a fun muni to go play, that's a great place to go. Nice. Well, I'm really looking forward to reading that one. Let's bring it all around town. The Masters. Finally coming up. Finally coming up. So soon do we get to see Augusta National in the fall. I'm hype. I know most or all of you are too. Will, who is your pick? <sighs> Well, the easy pick is Bryson. And if Bryson wins, mm -hmm. nobody is going to be surprised because long travels everywhere. Uh, yeah. But I'm going with John Rahm. Uh, I, pick, I, I like picked him it. at the U.S. Open, and, it, you know, of course, he laid an egg. So who knows what will happen. But his game is just so well-suited for that golf course. He has played that tournament really well. And I, I just feel like it's you know it's coming to his time so he's gonna win one sooner or later and you know it might as well be this year i couldn't agree even i couldn't agree more because i love his game he came close last week was it last week um yeah coming down the stretch with jt and uh cantley which is you know maybe the most boring guy in golf but we don't need to talk about that um so you got Bryson, we've got Rom. Who is maybe a dark horse that you like or somebody who 
let's say maybe could sneak in a top 10. I'm going to bring it full circle, all right. I'm going to tell you who your dark horse is at Augusta. Oh, God. It's Jordan Spieth. Oh, no. Absolutely it is. Now, look, here's a guy look, who has <laughs> won at Augusta, who has come really, really close to winning multiple times at Augusta. And not just because when he's playing well, he has the game that, that, that it takes to win at Augusta, which he does. He knows that course really, really well. Before his first time around in, well, it wasn't his first Masters, but in 2015, uh, ben Crenshaw took him around the course and showed him around and basically gave him all of his secrets. So it's not just that Spieth plays well at Augusta. He knows that golf course. So if he can find his form, if he can string together four days of putting, he is going to be there. Now, he might not. He might show up and just be a total mental disaster and shoot 85-85. But... I'm telling you, if he shows up with a little bit in the tank, watch out. See, that's the thing, though, that gets me about speed. It's either 85-85 or 65-65. That's the way you and I play, though. That's the way you human beings play. It's like you... <laughs> you speak for yourself. I'm 85 every time. Consistent. Well... Not really. Just kidding. He, you know... Yeah, no, you're right. He's he's very he's very relatable, very likable in that sense. I, hey, trust me. Like I said, I hope you're right. Um, way to bring it full circle there. You just bring the joke <laughs> all the way around town. Um, let's close with a few rapid fire let's. questions. So we're just gonna just say what comes to your mind, no rhyme okay. or reason. Give us your best first shot at these, and they're random. So okay. get ready. Some golf, some not. Here we go. Favorite golf course Sweet you've ever played? That I place do. is so good. Um, it's it totally exceeded my expectations. Um, so much fun. Anyway, okay. The point of this is to not discuss like this. Um, favorite fried oh, Popeyes. Favorite club in your my bag? six hybrid. That's it is, one. and it's a sad one. But you know, I'm almost forty years old now. I was going to say, you're getting, you're getting and, there. You know, if it gets you closer to the hole faster, who cares? So, yes. So now I have right. a six hybrid. Great. Weirdest thing you keep in your golf bag? Um, there might or might not be a banana in there right now. Like, seriously. I mean, I should probably go check because 50% like, of the time there's yeah. like an old banana in there. And I, I'm mm. glad you said that because I need to go check. We love a good rotting fruit in the bottom of your golf bag. Preferred seat on an airplane. As close to the front as you can. Okay, you're one of those. Uh, The course at the top of your bucket list. Honestly, Landman in Nebraska. Opening next summer, it's the new Rob Collins, Tad King design up there. They're the guys who did Sweeten's Cove. And I haven't seen it yet. But the pictures look just like something from a different planet, like just unbelievable. And so that's kind of how I felt um, about Macklemore when I went as well. Just like the photos got me really excited. about. Yeah, it. I saw those pictures that did look rad. But as soon like as soon as I've got yeah. a COVID vaccine, 
and that place is open, I'm throwing <laughs> my, my bag in the trunk and I'm going to Homer, Nebraska. Well, I'll meet you there because it sounds ball. like a good time. Um, spikes or spikeless Spikeless. golf shoes? Same. What ball? Titles Pro V1. Okay. Favorite non-sports celebrity? Non-sports celebrity? Um, God, I I was, the person I was going to say is a politician and I promised myself I would keep politics off your podcast. So non-sports celebrity, I'll I'm looking around my house for pictures. I've got nothing. Um, my dog, Molly. I think it might be good to go like Kim Kardashian at that point. Dustin Hoffman. Okay, that works. No, Gene Hackman. Who, Gene Hackman. Who do you? Yes. Gene Hackman. All right. Okay. Who do you want to win this? Green Super Bay Bowl? Packers every year. Okay, LeBron or Michael Jordan. MJ. Okay. Favorite kind Pepperoni of pizza. and mushroom. Strange, but we respect it. And lastly, why am I your favorite Twitter follower? Uh, because it blocked me. You're the last one who hasn't. Okay, <laughs> that's just rude at this point. Well, hey, that's all we have for you today, folks. Thanks for listening to another Friday happy hour edition of the Stripe Show podcast, where we talk to top analysts, personalities, and players in the great game of golf. Hey, be sure to subscribe so you get every episode right to your phone and never miss another chance of hearing me or Travis blabber on about something else. We're so glad you're here. And hey, we'll see you next time. My pleasure, Thanks for joining us. (laughs) Cheers. Happy Halloween and make it a safe and fun weekend. See ya.